Welcome to our podcast, Revelation Conversations. I'm Steve Goebel, and I'm here with Kyle Hatfield, one of the members of our teaching team who works in Christian publishing and is a teacher in our School of Bible and School of Ministry. Kyle, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to start by giving you, our listeners, our purpose behind this. We're hoping to utilize this time to unpack more uh, in the book of Revelation and to supplement the Sunday teachings as our church, Ecclesia Eugene, goes through Revelation. Revelation can be very overwhelming for people, so we're hoping to bring more clarity. Uh, Each week, we're releasing this podcast at 4 p.m., and you can find it through our website, ecclesiaeugene.org. Today, we're talking about prophecy connection, how the Old Testament helps us make sense of Revelation. It's really interesting. Of the 404 verses in the book of Revelation, we see upwards of 278 of them uh, that make some allusion to the Old Testament. And some of these verses contain two or three allusions. Yeah, Steve, and not everyone listening may may even know what an illusion is. We're not talking about illusions like a magic trick. We're talking about allusions spelled with an A. Uh, And that's a literary device used to refer to something without doing it explicitly. So Mm -hmm. John isn't saying, all right, and now from the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah says this, He instead uses uh, different things like simple phrases, specific language or images, or even just themes to point back to the Old Testament. And sometimes there's similarities, but sometimes there's also intentional contrast where he's picking from all these different areas, picking all these little phrases and just tweaking them slightly. And uh, and that's what can make it uh, interesting, but also really exciting at the same time. Yeah, and, and a lot of those uh, illusions, uh, images, symbols that we see, a lot of them uh, come from the prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. One of the things that's so important for us to remember is we're not looking through the 21st century lens to figure out what these symbols Uh, what these objects, what these pictures are. We're trying to look at what John was looking at. Uh, The visions uh, that that John's seen, they're from the Old Testament. Now, why is that? Well, because those are the visions that are to be fulfilled. Much of Revelation is strange for us because we don't know the Old Testament. In fact, a lot of us avoid the Old Testament. And and so many of the symbols that that we see, once again, they, they come from the Old Testament prophets. And what what makes it harder for us to interpret is that John doesn't put quotations around the Old Testament sections either. So you don't get that convenient notice of, hey, I'm I'm alluding back to this. Often, John isn't being exact for us. Uh, He even combines elements of multiple sections. He'll pull together uh, separate visions and combine them. And what we also need to remember is when he's writing, he he's writing from the vernacular he knew, which was scripture. It was the Old Testament. That's what he knew. He had been immersed in the Old Testament. And so when he's writing the book of Revelation, he's writing scripture with scripture. And since he's seen the same things they saw, 
of course it's going to sound familiar. So if we can't understand the Old Testament, we end up getting wrong interpretations. Hal, I know you also have some thoughts on this as well, of why this is so important. Yeah, so these illusions, they're, they're not like Marvel movie Easter eggs that are just fun for the nerds to just pick out everyday people, don't need to know or care about them. You really can't understand Revelation without the Old Testament. It's like trying to watch the latest Star Wars movies without mm -hmm. having watched the earlier ones. And so you just, you miss all of the significance and the context. It's like, who are the Skywalkers? Why should I care about Han Solo? And so <laughs> you, you really do need to look at the Old Testament and understand the Old Testament story to be able to glean what John is trying to tell you through Revelation. Uh, but, but also even more than that, he uses these allusions to initiate moments of meditation for us. And I'm not talking about like Zen states or anything like that, but he wants us to churn over the ideas of the text in our minds and in our hearts. Twice he even says in Revelation that uh, to understand all these symbols and everything he's talking about, it calls for wisdom. He's mm -hmm. saying we've really got to think through what the text is saying. He wants us to wrestle with this. Where is this coming from? And it makes me think about Psalm 1, where it says, uh, starting in verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So uh, the psalmist there is saying meditation brings blessing, which mm -hmm. coincidentally enough is promised in Revelation 1-3. Those right. who read, hear, and keep the words of this book will be blessed. And so these truths come alive even more when we meditate on them, when we think about how it connects to the Old Testament. It brings these epiphanies where they now stick with you more. Mm -hmm. you, you get to understand the truths of Revelation even deeper. It gets into your bones. It shifts your DNA and how you start to see life uh, in this world mm -hmm. as, as we go about our day. And every single illusion carries with it the significance of the story and context from, from which it came in the Old Testament. And when you see the parallels of, like, say, some of the judgments in Revelation, and they sound just like the 10 plagues of Exodus, John wants your mind to go back to that story and think about God's deliverance for his people. He wants you to make that connection because that's where the blessing is found. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and so we see a whole bunch of examples that we could draw back from and, and one of the things as you go through the book of Revelation, you'll notice that John loves going back to Daniel 7. Uh, mm -hmm. It's absolutely loaded with imagery, uh, especially in chapter 1. We also see he alludes to chapter uh, 10 of Daniel and, and chapter 12 as well. Uh, and, and we see in, in verse 13 of uh, chapter 7, his description of Jesus, just like Revelation chapter 1 in, in Daniel chapter 10, the angel Michael fighting, which we see in Revelation 12, uh, 7 as well. Uh, it's interesting. We we think of, you know, what's to come. And Ezekiel 47, uh, verse 7 and 12, we see the tree of life on both sides of the river. And John describes this same image in the New Jerusalem in Revelation 22, uh, 1 and 2. And, and just as you alluded to, like Exodus, you know, uh, with the people and the plagues, you see people being persecuted, a lamb being sacrificed, and then the plagues coming up when we have the trumpets uh, that have sounded in the book of Revelation, the, the seven bowls and the 
allusions that that we see even point even more strongly uh, to the plagues and and ultimately the Passover, the Lamb who was slain, and the victory song that we also see comes up in Revelation, and 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 some of that points right back to Psalm two. Psalm two comes up multiple times. Yeah, and to uh, dive a little bit deeper into some of the passages that you just referred to, I mean, you just taught through recently Revelation uh, 1, 12 through 18. It's the yeah. first vision of Jesus that John has right before mm-hmm. he gets into the seven letters. And this passage, it sets the stage for really how John means for Revelation to be read, and mm-hmm. he shows how the Old Testament is going to interact with the book and really, it should calibrate our all our expectations for how to read Revelation. Uh, like you mentioned, he combines a bunch of imagery from mm-hmm. Daniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, if you look at Son of Man, he says, I saw one like the Son of Man. That's pulling from Daniel 10, verses 16 and 18, where Daniel describes a divine figure, one in the likeness of the children of man. And then verse 18, one having the appearance of a man. And then Daniel 7 Also, Daniel has a vision where there is someone who comes with the clouds of heaven that came like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And also, this imagery of coming on the clouds of heaven is used in Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming on the clouds of heaven. And so there's all these interactions that John is doing. And then to dive even deeper and break down the, the vision, the description of Jesus in Revelation 1, Daniel 10, 5 through 6, like you said, Daniel is describing this angel here who's delivering a message, and he says, Daniel says, I lift up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And Let's just compare that to to Revelation 1, starting in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And so you see there's some similarities there, but also there's some differences, because he's also pulling from different passages, or he's remixing what was said in Daniel 10. Ezekiel, too. Yeah, he's pulling from Ezekiel. Um, Also... Um, the the white hair comes from Daniel 7, not mm-hmm. Daniel 10. His mm-hmm. clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool, Daniel 7, 9 says. And then you've got the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. That's not from Daniel at all. That's from Isaiah eleven four, where it says, The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. And that's talking about a deliverer coming mm-hmm. for Israel and his mouth is like a sharp sword. And, and as we know, Hebrews talks about the word of God mm-hmm. like a two-edged sword. And later John says that the sharp sword coming out of his mouth is the word of God. And so John pulls from all these visions and descriptions of powerful, mighty, transcendent, divine and angelic beings to create this mosaic picture of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And like a mosaic, 
the sum is greater than the parts, right? You have to step back and, and then you can see it as a whole. And all of these work to combine to describe the great cosmic glory of the king of the universe, Jesus Christ. And some scholars see this passage as the most dense uh, of the Old Testament allusions that John mm -hmm. has in here. There's maybe upwards of 14 allusions in just seven verses. It, wow. It's just amazing. And, and that shows how it's setting everything up again. Yeah, and, and as you were reading that, I was looking down at these verses and, and just amazed at, at how he's just pulling from multiple prophets into this uh, to tie it together. And it just speaks to the fulfillment piece of this, that we can't mm. miss, that this is the fulfillment of what all of them were seeing, and he's bringing it together. And, and what really speaks out, what just shines from this, is the connectedness and the cohesiveness in Scripture. It is absolutely remarkable, and, and Revelation is like the cherry to that Sunday, uh, how it brings it all together. And here's my encouragement for you, our listeners. That's what happens the closer you get to Scripture. Mm. The closer you get to Scripture, the more you study it, you see that it's written by one divine author. And remember, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is the what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the divine author. And so all of this points back to him. And another passage that I think is just so dense with Old Testament imagery is Revelation 12. And I, we could spend hours pulling that apart. This mm -hmm. is the amazing scene with the dragon and the woman yep. who is giving birth. And uh, really, since we're not going to spend hours on it, Let's just focus on the dragon. Okay, so where does John get this imagery? There's dragons in the Bible. What's going on here? Well, John is pulling from multiple different parts mm -hmm. of, of course, Ezekiel, and then also Isaiah. For instance, Ezekiel 29, verse 3, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams that says, My Nile is my own. I made it for myself. And then, Ezekiel 32, 3, son of man, raise a lamentation over Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, you consider yourself a lion of the nations, but you are like a dragon in the seas. You burst forth in your rivers, trouble the waters with your feet, and foul their rivers. And with Revelation 12, what we see is this dragon is going to battle against this pregnant woman, mm -hmm. and she is giving birth, and he wants to destroy the woman, and he wants to destroy her child. And, and so what we see with Ezekiel here is he's connecting the dragon to the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, showing that this uh, dragon is a symbol of evil, of uh, opposition against the people of God, the, the things of God. And it's interesting that both Ezekiel 29 and 32 connect the dragon with water, with these tumultuous, turbulent waters and in the Old Testament, these turbulent waters are used as imagery for death and destruction, like the flood. Yeah, It's chaos and it's death, and, and God is delivering God's people from the turbulent waters. Of Revelation 12, 15, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Mm. And then in Revelation 12 later, John 
tells us the identity of this dragon, which yeah. maybe we had a suspicion of who it could be, but he says that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. That's Revelation 12, 9. And serpents and dragons are connected in both ancient mythology and also the Old Testament. Isaiah 27, verse 1. In that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Once again, this creature who is in opposition against God and his people. And so he's bringing up now the serpent, mm -hmm. which should bring us all the way back to what? Genesis, Genesis. 3, the fall where the serpent comes and tempts Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit, yep. says that you'll be like God if you take this fruit. Just he, God is holding out against you. Take the fruit, eat, and you will be like God. And so God then, of course, punishes the serpent. And in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is known as really the first promise of deliverance that God gives to us, that mm -hmm. someone somewhere down along the line will come and crush evil and the evil one. And so Genesis 3.15 sets up a confrontation all the way to, to Revelation between the seed of the serpent, the offspring of the serpent, and the seed of the woman, which really is the covenant people of God, but also culminating in Jesus Christ. And we see that confrontation personified in, in what is described in Revelation 12, the dragon versus the woman and her child. Kyle, we've also talked about the allusions to the lamb and mm -hmm. how prominent that is we see in the book of Revelation. Yeah, I mean, the primary way Jesus is referred to in Revelation is not as Jesus. I mean, Jesus' name comes up many times, of course, mm -hmm. but the primary way he's referred to in Revelation is as the Lamb. And really, the first time we see the Lamb mentioned mm -hmm. in Revelation, Revelation 5, it says, it is one that looks as though it had been slain. And so this is pointing us to so much of the Old Testament, really the whole thing. Uh, you can look at Isaiah 53, where Isaiah is talking about the suffering servant, this prophecy about the coming Messiah. And it says that he will be led like a lamb to the slaughter, mm -hmm. dying on behalf of our sins. <laughs> on him was placed the chastisement of us all. And then you also, of course, have to think about the sacrificial system, right? Yep. Where constantly for their sins, they were sacrificing lambs to pay for their sins, to cover for their sins. And then you think about Passover. You mentioned that earlier, mm -hmm. of course, where the people of Israel, they're enslaved in Egypt, and now God is going to deliver them from the evil one, mm -hmm. from the opposition, the seed of the serpent, and he does it through bringing this angel of death, but to protect them from the angel of death, he says, you got to slaughter a lamb, and then take the blood of the lamb and paint it on the doorpost, and that is where the angel of death will pass over you, and that is how you will be delivered, and then you even think about Abraham's story in Genesis 22, where he is told by God, sacrifice Isaac, your son of promise, the one where I said, I will bring a great nation from you and all the nations of the world will be blessed through Isaac. And he says, now sacrifice him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so Abraham faithfully takes his son up the mountain and Isaac keeps asking, 
where's the lamb that we're going to sacrifice? And Abraham keeps saying, the Lord will provide. He just has this deep faith that the Lord is going to keep his promise. And so they get to the top. He binds Isaac. He's about to kill Isaac. And then the angel of the Lord stops him. And he says, I, I know that you fear God now. And so you don't need to sacrifice him. And then he turns and he sees a ram caught in the bushes. And he's able to sacrifice that ram in the place of his son. And so it's all pointing to how the Lord provides a way of deliverance. It, it looks like the way of death, but it's actually the way of life. The slain lamb is the one who is victorious. Mm-hmm. And, and you really pick up the significance of that in Revelation by what you read in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. by, by walking through uh, Exodus by and some of the stories, uh, you know, in Abraham and just uh, throughout, like there was so much pain uh, in that. And yet you see the deliverer, you see the the forgiveness, the the redemption, all of all of what is encompassed within the lamb and that imagery. And one of the things that I heard recently was when you see Revelation alluding to the Old Testament, don't just go and look at that one verse that it's alluding to. Read the entire chapter. Mm, and I, I loved that advice uh, because that's what really brings you into the vision uh, versus just trying to identify uh, the glimpse. And I think sometimes we can get caught up in, in trying to see a glimpse versus seeing the actual vision and and gaining the the depth, the meaning, the richness, the worship that is found in actually understanding uh, why John is is writing what he's writing, and 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 actually getting into the place where you're experiencing yourself as you read these words, the power of the moment when he's confronted with Jesus, and then he's writing these words. Thank you for joining me today, Kyle. Yeah. And uh, thank you for joining us to all our listeners. Thank you for joining in. And and I would just invite you to join us in person this Sunday at 830 or 1030 or online at 1030 as we continue as a church walking through the book of Revelation.